five o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. Hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. All right. Uh, welcome in, everybody. Patrick Johnson here. It is the Patrick Johnson Show. Midweek edition. You made it through. Uh, all downhill from here, getting you to the weekend. Uh, we, of course, are uh, live here on 94.3 The Game and 94.3thegame.com and the IBX Media app, our various video platforms. By the way, the IBX Media app, free for download on Google Play in the App Store, and uh, there's no pre-roll ads when you uh, log on to listen to the live, or when you uh, tap on the app to listen to the live streams of uh, our programming or watch them on the video streams on the app, or uh, if you want to revisit the magic of this or uh, just get acquainted with some past uh, shows of this and other programs, uh, all of our shows are archived on the ibx media app we say hello to uh fred or fred we say hello to uh philip the ref pilkington who is uh here today otherwise known as fred in some circles uh pilk you are tracking many things today uh and you'll have an update for us coming up as well but is there any big thing we need to know as we go into the show here today um that big news that i was hoping might break i have not seen anything about it yet so hey we got an hour who knows what might happen all right, we'll see what happens. Uh, Pilk will be on top of uh, all of that. Uh, let's go now to uh, our uh, video feed. We have uh, fed the squirrels. They are running. We've got us uh, connected to lovely Carteret County, Emerald Isle, where uh, the one and only Doug Martin, one-time ECU offensive coordinator, uh, head coach at Kent State, New Mexico State, and also the uh, head coach or rather the offensive coordinator for the USFL's Breakers. He's got some Breaker swag on today, which I've challenged him now to get me some Breaker swag because I want some. Coach, how are you? I'm doing well. And yourself, Patrick? I'm great. We're not at a shortage of things to talk about today. Big week of college football, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Let's start with the big controversy of the uh, week to start things, and that was the playoff. Did the committee get it right with these four teams? Yeah, I think, you know, somebody was going to get left out no matter what, right? And when you only have four teams to go, if you're saying that we want to take the four best football teams, then yes, I would I would say they did have it right, only because of the injury that Florida State has at quarterback. That You know, they're not the same team without uh, – the quarterback, Jordan Travis, he, he makes a huge difference. And you can see, even though they won their last two games, they couldn't score like they were earlier. And when you go play Michigan, you go play Alabama and those teams, you're going to have to score to win games. So, yeah, on that side of things, I'd say they got it right. Now, I'm heartbroken for Florida State. I mean, I just think that's terrible. A team goes undefeated and doesn't get into the playoff uh, situation. So, if it was a deal where the committee was going to say, well, it's not the four best teams, it's the most deserving teams, then you take Florida State. So, right. uh, you know, either way you go, somebody was going to get left out. I think Alabama's probably playing the best football right now of any of those four. Um, but it's just a tough situation. And I will say this, too, Patrick. You know, the ACC is a little bit to blame here themselves. 
you know, last year they had a vote and they were pushing to go to the 12 team playoff this year. And the Atlantic Coast Conference commissioner voted against it. He was one of the three conferences that didn't want to do it this year. So, you know, they put themselves in this bind a little bit. Do you think, uh, were you surprised Georgia dropped like they did? I was, but I think that's a little bit of politics in the committee that, you know, they didn't want to say that they were trying to salvage two SEC teams. You know, had they kept Georgia up there probably where they deserve to be, then it would have come down to, well, we may have to keep Texas out also. And then you say, well, Texas beat Alabama, and it was going to get into all that type of mode. So I, I think that was a little bit of, you know, CYA on their part. Texas getting in, do you agree with that? I do. I think, again, when you look at the teams, how well the teams are playing right now, you know, they're, they're playing at a higher rate. They're playing really good football. Uh, and they did have a win over Alabama. It was early in the year and all that. But, you know, they did have that win, and they finished out really strong. Um, and they're a balanced team. I think when you look at the four teams that are in the playoff, they've all got good offense. They've all got deep, good defense. They can win in a variety of ways. And I think that's what really hurt Florida State when it came down to trying to pick the four best teams is, yes, they're playing great defense, probably not going to be great on offense, can play special teams, and that, that was probably the difference. You know, I want to ask you, uh, as far as the regular season, 12-team playoff, Does it will that devalue it? But does this exercise, this way it went down, does it in any way devalue the regular season? Because it looks like we're headed to there. I mean, really, it's just TV inventory at this point. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I think with only four teams, it was going to be a disaster at some point, and th this is kind of it. You know, this would have been a great year to have that 12-team playoff because you had some teams that were really playing well. You know, Ohio State has a case to make. Georgia has a case to make. Oregon was playing great football. I mean, there were a lot of teams that if you went to a 12-team model, you know, really could have made a run and made this thing really interesting. And, and again, you know, why is the NCAA basketball tournament so great? And why do people get tuned into that? Because there's a variety of teams that can win and the small teams can win. You know, Liberty would have been in that 12-team playoff, which, you know, whether or not they could compete at that level, you'd find out. But it'd be interesting. And it puts a lot of pressure on people to have to play them. That's what makes the basketball tournament so great. So I think when they get to the 12-team deal, um, it'll make the regular season maybe a little bit more important and your conference championship is, is going to be important. Oh, yeah. Should Liberty have gotten the spot they got as a New Year's Six participant? Uh, I know they went undefeated, but their schedule, they were playing the uh, East Carter yeah. and JV. I mean, it was a pretty rotten schedule. So, I mean, is there, in your mind, is there was that deserved, or maybe should have, should have SMU gotten it? Or yeah, I mean, if you're at, yeah, if you're asking me, then I think strength of schedule should have come into play with that, and probably SMU would jump them. Uh, and again, SMU is probably playing the best they've played all year at the end of the season. That conference USA deal that Liberty's in, I mean, man, that is that is the JV schedule. I mean, there's teams in there you've never even heard of before. So, I mean, that that conference is is you know not really up to par with everybody else. So, yeah, there was a valid case to be made for that for sure. We're talking to uh, Doug Martin, and uh, last thing, as we sit here right now, and, and we'll uh, hopefully talk to you before all of these games, but as we sit here right now, who do you have winning the respective semifinals 
And then who do you have winning the championship and why? Yeah, I, I think uh, Alabama will beat Michigan. And, and again, I think it's just because of the overall team. And I think the, the mobile quarterback that Alabama presents, I'm not sure Michigan's seen a quarterback that can run and throw the way Alabama's can right now. And then I really, I, I've loved Washington. I told you early in the year, Washington was a team to watch and I really like them a lot. But I think Texas may be playing better at this point than they are. Now, you have the long layoff before you play the game, and those type of things could come into play. But I kind of like where Texas is right now, and I think you're going to get a rematch between Alabama and Texas. All right. And then who wins it? I think if it goes down to that, I think Alabama will win it. And, and more along the lines, I put up that on – Yeah, I just think Nick Saban, I have a lot of respect for him and the way he prepares the team. And if you give him that long to prepare, uh, I just think they'll be hard to beat. You know, considering that the injury deal is, is equal on each side, yeah, I'd give Alabama the favor. Does Saban then ride off into the sunset? No. He'll coach. <laughs> he, he will coach until he is dead on the sidelines now. I mean, it's just in his DNA. I, I don't ever see him giving – as long as his health is okay, I don't ever see Nick walking away from it. He just – you know, there's some guys they just don't have other hobbies in their life, and this is really what motivates them and what gets them up in the morning. And he's one of those guys. You know, this is, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I'm not built that way. Uh, you know, a lot of other guys are not built that way, but he is, and he's going to yeah. coach as long as he can coach. So I have two challenges for you, of course, the the swag for the breakers for me, but I also have the challenge of you need to get Saban to come to Carteret County in July or sometime if you're if you're not busy of course you might be. and 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 fish with you that's fish with you and Logan that's the challenge we could, yeah we could that'd be a good tv show we could work on that you know, the way <laughs> the way recruiting is the way recruiting is now for college athletics I mean that recruiting cycle just goes year round it, it's hard for those guys to get any time off but, but we'll work on it all right i want to talk to you about uh some of the the teams in the uh State, I want to talk to you about uh, the ECU offensive coordinator hiring, just what, what you think stylistically that may wind up being. And I do want to talk to you about this huge NCAA news yesterday, uh, the proposal of another division. So can we get a quick break in so we don't keep you for too long and uh, come back yeah. and, and do that? All right. Sounds more with good. Doug Martin when we come back here on the Patrick Johnson Show. And uh, stay with us. We'll, uh, we'll talk about a lot of things, including the Pirates, when we come back. Taking the rage out of your drive home. You just cut me off, but it's no big deal. Patrick Johnson on 94.3 The Game and the new IBX Media app. All right, Chris uh, Martin is joining us uh, here on the Patrick Johnson Show today. Uh, Coach, uh, John David Baker comes from uh, Ole Miss where he, was give, he had the title of co-offensive coordinator. We all know that Lane Kiffin was calling the plays down there in uh, Oxford. And uh, he was the tight ends coach, young guy, 33. You were a young guy that was 33 once in the game, so you know what that uh, is like. Uh, but uh, he's going to come in. I'm going to play a cut for you what he talked about uh, when he was asked uh, Monday stylistically what he sees out of the offense. Hit it, Pilk. Yeah, for us, everything everything starts in the run game. Um, I think sometimes just with my background, um, 
there's probably a little bit of a misconception of getting tagged as an air raid guy and and don't get me wrong we've got a lot of those principles in what we do um, but for me everything starts in the run game and builds off of that whether it be RPOs or play action game um, everything starts up front and and when we get the run game rolling that's when this thing gets really really special he also uh kind of you know compared it or it was compared by somebody maybe him maybe somebody else i don't remember what happened an hour ago so i can't remember monday necessarily but uh, it's kind of what rich rod would do that sort of spread you run you quick kind of deal so um Look, you watched you watched a lot of ECU football over the last two years. You you suffered through a lot of it, like we did this year. So, um, what what he's talking about running, what do you think of that with this program where it is right now? Well, you know, again, Patrick, these are just my opinions here. So, for whatever that's worth it to anybody here, but it, look at the history. And the reason you study history is it's the best predictor of what the future is going to be. Okay, East Carolina when they've been successful could throw the football. And why that is important is when you can throw the football effectively, now you can run the ball. Okay. You're and, and look, I'm all for him. I hope it works, but he's not going to have old Mrs. Offensive lineman here. And you're never going to have a dominant offensive line at a group of five school. That's why you have to be able to throw the ball well to take some pressure off the offensive line, or you run some option, things like that to take some pressure off your offensive line. Uh, to be successful because until you are able to throw the ball effectively, people are going to load the box and you're not going to run it. I don't care what you say. And you look at back the history, you know, Logan obviously had a great passing game here. and We were able to run the ball. We had great running teams. Ruffin McNeil went out and hires Lincoln Riley. And guess what? They're throwing the ball all over the place in East Carolina, but they ran the ball effectively. Skip Holtz did the same thing, you know, and, and right on down. And even with Aylers, when they had Aylers here, you know, two years ago, they could throw the ball effectively, and that's why they were able to run the ball. So I get worried when people just say everything starts with the running game because I, I, I don't believe that. That's not where I've come from and where I, what I believe. I think you have to be able to be balanced and throw the ball to keep people off of you. Now, look, he may be the – I mean, I'm sure Mike Houston did a lot of research on this hire because this is a very important hire for him things that would bother me is, you know, he's never coached a quarterback in his career and he's never called a play. You and I both know Lane Kiffin calls every play at Ole Miss and everybody knows that. So, but look, he's been around some great coaches and he might be his time. And and I hope that he is the answer. I really do. And I hope they they play well and, and get things going. But if they cannot throw the football next year, which means they better develop a quarterback. If they can't do those two things, you can talk about the running game all day you're not going to be able to run the ball. You know, uh, I think it comes down, you mentioned the quarterback, it comes down to this too, Doug. You have got to, you have got to be a, a, a legitimate shopper in that portal. I'm not saying you're going to get a $2 million well, guy. There's no way. I mean, your NIL is not going to be that yeah. much, but you have got to be a, a legitimate shopper in that portal for at least one, if not two, quarterbacks. Yeah, there's some truth in that, Patrick. There is. I also really believe this in my heart. I I think college coaches have gotten really lazy because of the portal. So nobody's really working hard at finding that that high school kid here in North Carolina that can really throw the ball and do some special things like Mark Crandall. Nobody recruited Mark Crandall except East Carolina. You know, David Garrard. 
was not as highly recruited as people all think. You know, and we got those guys and developed them. And there's been other guys that have come through here. And and I think that coaches are getting really lazy just saying, well, we'll go to the transfer portal and get one. Well, you might you might hit on one, but there's a lot of bad players in the transfer portal too. A lot of those players are in there because they weren't good enough where they were. And if you're going to go in the portal, you better have money. And, and you know, I, I, can East Carolina pay $500,000 for a quarterback? Because if you're going to get a decent one, at the group of five, that's probably what's going to cost you. If you're in the ACC or uh, power conference, it's going to cost you a million, a million five. So to me, it still comes down to high school recruiting and developing players, and that's where you better have a base, especially if you're going to be in East Carolina because I, I don't know that East Carolina's are ever going to have a million dollars to pay a player. We're uh, we're talking with uh, Coach Doug Martin here Uh and uh, we will if we can get Mr. Beast or Vince McMahon to put a billion into the NIL. That's what, or at least a half a billion <laughs> into the NIL. Come on, Vinnie Mac. Um, we got Doug Martin here with us. Before we get into the NCA thing, because I want to give that plenty of time, a couple of things as we wrapped up uh, the college football regular season of the championship weekend. Uh, Dave Doran, tremendous job at NC State. MJ Morris, as we kind of predicted, got into the uh, portal. Uh, but you look at some guys leaving that program, the rancor that that could have caused, uh, but somehow that was held together. Their defense uh, was was really good, and they dominated UNC at the end of the season. Yeah, great coaching job. That, that entire staff, you know, they really struggled all year with the quarterback situation, kind of bounced around, uh, went back to the quarterback they'd had early in the year and still found a way to score points, played great defense all year. Um but, again, you, everybody knew the quarterback was going to go in the portal, right, the second he didn't want to play and finish the season. I mean, what a joke. And to me, that's the shame of where college football is now. I mean, there's no loyalty to a program anymore. There's no, you know, teaching the young man how to deal with a little bit of adversity and fighting through it instead of just jumping in a transfer portal. And, you know, college is a time where these are not developed young men, you know, mentally, socially. You know, they're still maturing. And I just think you're losing that. And that's a little bit of what I was talking about when I said coaches are getting really lazy in the recruiting end of things because of the portal. You know, the answer is now, well, we'll just go to the portal and get another one. Well, you know, how about go to a high school and find a kid that you really believe in and develop him? There's still got to be some of that in college football, I think, if you're going to have a program. Now, uh, North Carolina State obviously has a really good foundation to their program because none of that stuff rocked them. They, they fought through it, and I thought one of the best coaching jobs in the ACC this year. How about uh, UNC and Mac Brown? I, for the second year in a row, they've kind of fallen off a shelf after they get through or into October. Yeah, you know, there's, there's an image of North Carolina that it's a little bit soft. You know, the, the program is a little bit soft. That, that's always kind of been there. And I, I don't know what that is. I don't, can't really put my finger on why that is, but it really seems like, you know, every year they'll run into a team that will just bloody their nose and they don't respond. Or at the end of the year, you know, when things get tough and you're going to play some tough teams in a row and you've got a couple of injuries, they just seem to not be willing to, to fight through that. And, you know, I don't really know what that is with them, but, you know, some, certain programs have certain characteristics that follow them and carry them and, that one has kind of always been with UNC, in, in, in my opinion. With uh, Duke, they're still 
as we sit here today looking for uh, their head coach or have not named the person as of yet, who knows who that's going to be, what kind of person, what, what are the attributes of a coach that's going to go to Duke and succeed like Elko did and, and like Cutcliffe did in many ways? Yeah, well, I think, you know, they've got a great resource in Cutcliffe there to help them pick this next coach. And if I was them, I would be relying on him heavily. And I think he had a lot to do with Elko being hired to come there, who did, did a tremendous job also. Uh, you know, and maybe they want to listen to Elko if he has some advice for them. But, you know, obviously Duke, you know, you're, you're dealing with some academics there, a little bit different than other places. You know, I coached at Boston College, and we had to deal with that too. So it's a little bit different from that standpoint. Uh, you do have to be a national recruiter at schools like that. Boston College, we were all over the place, high school-wise, nationally. Um, you know, so th there's some challenges there. But, man, there's been a really good foundation laid there by Cutcliffe and Elko. And, you know, hopefully they can get the right guy and, and continue that. So it was announced yesterday that the NCAA's president, Charlie Baker, wants to create a separate division where the schools are paying the athletes. Uh, there are some minimum standards of that. We'll get into all that. You've been saying for the longest time that the FBS is destined to splinter. So is this the the opening salvo? The, this is it. This is it. And ten years ago, Todd Berry, who worked with me at East Carolina and, and went on to be the uh, president of the association, was telling me this was coming. I told, I said, Todd, there's no way. But he's right. He's been exactly right. And here it is. So what this is, Patrick, this is the Georgias, the Ohio States, the, the Alabamas of the world who have all the money to do whatever they want to do. They don't want to be told by East Carolina or Duke or Wake Forest that they can't give these players this amount of money and do these certain things. Their, their, their fight is that, you know, if you can't, keep up with us financially, then you don't need to be in our league. And that's what this is getting ready to do. This this is coming now to where these teams are going to, you know, separate and they're going to be in their own financial world. Just looking at it, it will cost you, if you want to move up to the division they're talking about being, it's going to cost your program six to six and a half million dollars just to make the minimum payment to the players that they're talking about doing. Well, you know, even Wake Forest, I think, has about four million in NIL money, so they can't they can't hit that mark. They're talking about paying paying each scholarship athlete thirty thousand dollars a year. Well, do the math on that because now you got to take care of your women's sports also because of Title IX. So you're talking about a big splinter here that's coming, uh, and they want to be able to make their own rules. They want to be able to hire as many coaches as they want to be able uh, as they want to hire. Um, they want to be able to to play whoever they want to play. So there's going to be no more of playing FCS schools. There's going to be no more of them playing East Carolina like Michigan did last year and giving you a million dollars or whatever it was to come up there and play. They're going to keep all that money to themselves now. TV is going to go that way. It's uh, this, this is going to be a real tragedy, in my opinion, for college football. But this is the way when they opened that Pandora's box up of paying players, it was inevitable that this is where it was going to go. I think you would be surprised some of the schools who would try to do this outside of the ones you mentioned, and then some of the schools who you would think might try this that probably aren't going to go anywhere near it because of, again, just the amount of money and the Title IX. It doesn't mean they're anti-women sports. It's just at some point economics has to come in play here for some of these. 
Like I, I know it's deficit spending in athletic departments. I get that. But, I mean, at some point, there has to be a tipping point. And, you know, I, I say that to say somebody we've already talked about, Liberty. They got money. They could do yeah. this if they wanted to. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they could do it over the long haul because you know what you're talking about now is I mean this is going to be yearly payment this this is not going to be a one time NFL you know NIL payment you're going to be paying and again the six six and a half million dollars to get in this deal that is the absolute minimum there's a minimum payment that you have to make to move up to this level is what they're talking about well that's the payment. Uh, so, you know, can you generate that much money year after year after year? And can you compete? Because if you're staying at the minimum, then you're not getting the same players that the people that are paying $20 million are getting. Right, right. Um, what does this do to conference? I mean, just, are we talking new conferences? Or is the, the division, the subdivision just play within itself? And, and, and those yeah. are the TV games? Well, this, this is why you've been watching all the conferences expand like they have, the SEC, the ACC, you know, um, taking schools that geographically do not fit, but they knew they had to start building up for when these other teams are going to leave their conference. So you're going to see teams that are going to leave the, the, these respective conferences to get into this division because this division, you know, is going to be how whatever it is, let's say it's 15 teams – they're going to be playing just themselves. They're not going to dip down and play, you know, out of their conference and out of their league. They don't need to anymore. It's basically professional football at the collegiate level. I just, I wonder, and I mean, this is above our pay grade for sure, but I just wonder, you know, how like that ACC grant of rights, which is airtight, how that affects this. I mean, it's just, there, there's, I, I, how I wonder how quickly they feel like they can implement this. There are some that are ready to go right now. This wouldn't have come up if there were not places that were ready to to move right. on right now, and, then, and most notably, right. most of the Big Ten and, and probably most of the SEC. Would it just be those two conferences, and then everybody else maybe would join as they are in a position they feel like they're able to get out of their media deals? Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's where you're going to get the lawyers and everybody else involved in how fast this can move and how fast it can go. But the fact that they publicly put it on the table tells you they're wanting to move really quickly now. And with the 12-team playoff coming, um, you know, that's probably another motivator to get it done quicker. So, I, you know, those, those things are, are above my pay grade. I don't, I don't know how all that will work, but – I think in some ways this may end up being a good thing for the rest of college football because everybody else can get rid of that insanity and go back to really playing, you know, a better version of college football. Kids at the other levels are still going to get NIL money, which I, I think players should get more money than just the scholarship. But the way they did it and how fast they implemented it and not having a plan and not knowing the repercussions of everything that's going to happen was really poorly done. Um, but, you know, now the Wake Forces, Boston Colleges, Vanderbilts, you know, Northwestern, you know, all those schools, Iowa State, there's a school that doesn't have that type of money. It's been a good football school. Those guys are going to go back to playing more of what we've all respected in college football that hopefully will be a little bit more loyalty to your school and those type of things. The, the programs that I think it's really going to really destroy is a group of five. I just I don't know how a group of five team is going to manage through all of this. It, it's going to get harder and harder. Do you 
foresee maybe a more regional component than I mean the conferences maybe there's a hard reset and you go back to you know what we've we've kind of also appreciated in college football, the regional rivalry aspect of it. I would hope that that's what happens. I, I think that would be better for the, for the division that stays, you know, what I would call in some, with some sanity. Uh, I would hope that there are more regional ties and geographic ties. So you get some rivalries and those type of things. And, and I think there's still going to be some opportunities for some schools to move up, maybe into what was a power conference league, um, you know, the ACC could lose four teams. So who do they replace? You know, who do they move up to if they want to keep things going? The SEC loses some people. Who do they move up? So um, somewhere along the line, some group of fives may get rewarded for this. Crazy times. It's just – It, it is. is. It is. It, and, Patrick, and, again, I, I listen, I'm one of those guys I, I always felt like the players – Athletes should have gotten more than what they just were getting from a normal scholarship. And that was the NCAA being hard-headed and not ever wanting to change. And then by the time they wanted to change, it was out of their hands. And it went so fast that it's just been poorly planned and things haven't been thought out. And TV's pushing all these things. And, you know, now you got Congress involved and congressmen are wanting players paid and all this. Well, those guys don't know if a football's blown up or stuffed. Yeah, but they're involved and they're making the decisions. And, you know, here we go. You know, when you, once you get the federal government involved in this thing, then, yeah, you're really going to fix it with them. So there's so many hands in the pie right now that I, I just it's, – it's frightening where college athletics is going. Uh, good stuff, Coach. Really appreciate it. Thank you for the time, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon at some point. We'll, we'll probably be bugging you a little bit. So have, is the boat named yet? That's the big question. Pilgrim not yet. Not yet. Vic, Vicky's still pushing for it just to be named after her, of course. So, you know, that's probably Vicky. where it'll end up. But, uh, yeah. Hey, yeah. Forrest Vic. named his boat after Jenny, and they had good luck. Heck of a heck of a, a shrimp company he got there. So, There you go. There you go. Need to hear nothing more. <laughs> All right, Doug. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a bunch. You guys take care. All right. There he goes, Doug Martin. Yeah, he's right, Pilk. I mean, this is a uh, new world, bold new world we're about to get in. I, I think that is why is it, it is important to get really solidly, firmly committed to NIL in Greenville because if this upper division you're talking about, uh, there's no visions of grandeur, delusions of grandeur that ECU is going to be able to compete in that. I mean, there's teams in this state that won't be able to compete in that. There's some that think they will, but realistically, they won't be able to compete in that. So what I think you have to look at is how well are you positioned to take advantage when teams do leave a conference and go up a level? Uh, that's the thing to me. And, and I, I still think there's a lot on this that is still kind of – going to have to play out, come out in the wash a little bit. I, I don't think this is a total done deal uh, as of yet. All right, we're going to get a break, and when we come back, Pilk uh, will have uh, for us a uh, sports update, and uh, we'll uh, have that with a pirate report on the other side of this timeout, and then we will uh, wrap up the show. Thanks to Doug Martin for being with us. Stay tuned. More of the Patrick Johnson Show is coming up. Thank you.
your back. Philip Pilkings here with your 94.3 The Game Sports Flash update and Pirate Report. The new OC, John David Baker, addressed the Pirate Nation earlier this week for the first time, and he explained what he will be looking for in a new quarterback. He's got to be a proven leader. He's got to be tough. Those are the first two things you got to look at because I can't ask, I can't ask that guy to get in the huddle and those other 10 guys look at him and them not know that or feel that. Pirate basketball will be back in action this weekend as they host South Carolina on Saturday. Coach Schwartz talked about what his team needs to do this week to prepare for the Gamecocks. But the message is, hey, we have to get better between, what day is it today, Monday? (laughs) We have to get better Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and we have to get better Saturday. The Gamecocks will be in action tonight against 24th-ranked Clemson. That'll be a road game for South Carolina. Both teams come into this contest at a perfect 7-0. and The number two commit for next year's basketball class, combo guard Dylan Harper from the state of New Jersey, will stay in the Garden State as he has announced earlier today that he will take his talent to Rutgers. The Canes will be back in action tonight. They will be trying to turn their Canada swing around. They fell to the Jets 2-1 on Monday night. They will be in Edmonton tonight to start their Alberta trip. They'll play Calgary tomorrow night. And Brett Murphy has reported that the Texas-Oklahoma Red River rivalry has extended their rights to play at the Cotton Bowl through 2036. The game has been played at the Cotton Bowl every year since 1932. That'll do it for your 94.3 The Game Sports Flash Update and Pirate Report on the other side of this timeout. We will be back to wrap up the Wednesday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. And now, the stunning conclusion of the show. It's the P-Man here on 94.3 The Game. Hey, thanks to Doug Martin for being with us. Reactionary or revolutionary? Uh, this new NCAA model proposed for uh, big-time sports. The plan, of course, would let Division I uh, colleges compensate players directly and give sports uh, powers enormous latitude to set their own rules. That's the big thing here is they uh, invest significantly in the uh, front porch of their respective colleges and universities. Uh, this was uh, breaking yesterday, and uh, we kind of read through it a little bit just to familiar familiarize yourself with it if you're not someone who um, you know has had time in the real world to go through this but uh, this would allow a subdivision of D1 to the highest resource schools the ability to compensate athletes through trust fund and direct name image and likeness licensing agreements the proposal was sent to all division one members in a letter. Uh, it recommended the formation of the new subdivision of Division One that would allow institutions to pay athletes through an enhanced educational trust fund is what they're calling it. They always have great names for these things that make them sound uh, less icky than they are. Uh, it would require an investment of at least 30000 per year per athlete for at least half the school's eligible athletes. Subdivision members would also need to remain compliant with Title IX, providing equal monetary opportunities for female and male athletes. There would be a no-strings-attached trust fund payments. Athletes would be free to use the money however they want. 
if the proposal were to pass, schools in the new subdivision would create their own rules separate from Division One a level defined by more required investment in sports than D2 and D3 that nevertheless features vast financial disparities among its 350-plus institutions. The new subdivision's members could equip themselves with not only the ability to move quickly to address issues, but also more leeway to make policies such as scholarship limits, roster sizes in various sports. The schools at the top of college athletics food chain often complain they are held back by lower resource schools that cannot afford to enact changes that they wish to adopt. In the letter to D1 members, Charlie Baker, who's the president, called his proposal forward-looking framework that gives the educational institutions with the most visibility, the most financial resources, and biggest brands an opportunity to choose and operate with a different set of rules more accurately reflect their scale of the model. You know what's interesting about this, Pilk, is that this is the NCAA's attempt to have their cake still and eat it too because inevitably the sec and the big 10 and maybe others would break off and do their own thing inevitably yes yeah. tries to some form of a guardrail on it or at least as i have a guardrails the ncaa doesn't give a damn about guardrails they just care about being able to still have the media rights for the ncaa tournament and their other championships and I have to imagine that there will be some kind of way here that the NCAA is able to weave in and get their hands on some of this football money. That's yeah. just my thought. So Doug talked about it, that he you know, had a friend that recognized it about 10 years ago. I had a roommate who does work in college athletics that predicted this about five years ago when the whole uh, Oklahoma, Texas, the SEC thing came out, that football was going to break off. And the, S the NCAA knows this. And like you said, they just want to keep some of their piece of the pie with the money. They don't care if there's another division of football as long as they see the money. However, the football teams or the schools could not care less whether the NCAA is a part of it or not. They just want to break off. And now that this whole Title IX thing got put in there, I think there is a less chance of that happening. And the reason the Title IX thing got put in there is A, it has a little bit to do with the law and our stupid government. And if also, if they didn't put it in there, the Megan Rapinos of the world would have a cow. And, you know, the NCA is all about being politically correct. Woohoo! Uh, the proposal that any D1 school could enter into an NIL deal directly with athletes, which is not currently permissible. Uh huh. He would also remove the current cap on education related compensation for athletes. The thrust of Baker's message was the NCA needs to further remove restrictions around schools' abilities to directly compensate athletes, creating a permissive structure in which, it, uh, which who can afford can do more or be allowed to do more. Uh, under the proposal, schools in both Division I subdivisions would continue to compete against one another for NCAA championships, except for in FBS football, which is run and governed by the college football playoff. It's clear that though Baker doesn't spell out that the highest resourced uh, schools he is referring to throughout the letter are in the Power Four Leagues now, is what they call it, the SEC, Big Ten, ACC, Big 12. Commissioners for those four conferences have been lobbying Congress together, seeking help on issues such as NIL that affect their constituents as far as their peers in lower D1. Uh, just kind of rolling through this article here, I mean, um, 
this is the this is the thing that's been going on behind the scenes at the high level. And and maybe I'm crazy, but Pilk, I don't think I don't think that the schools all the schools in the ACC, all the schools in perhaps the Big Twelve. Maybe even the SEC and Big Ten. I don't think they're all going to go for for this. I, I I hate to put it like this, but I think the Title IX component of this makes it difficult to navigate uh, for for these because it's it's football that's driving this. It's football who wants to just have their own. So this is maybe a way to placate them. I don't I don't know that for sure, but it seems like this is a way to kind of you know as you say still come across as politically correct and and still placate them you know um but i i mean can can wake wake forest can't do this would northwestern want to do this you know but you you run the risk of if you're in the big 10 or sec not getting that paycheck anymore at that level yeah i don't don't think alabama is gonna do it with the title nine i think they're gonna tell the ncaa up yours and they're going to go create their own thing. They've got enough money, enough viewership, oh, yeah. enough to just – I think they're going to – You know, this is the NCAA trying to keep them from breaking away. But at the end of the day, that's what's going to happen. This is going to be a semi-pro league for 18 to 22-year-olds. There's going to be somewhere between 15 and 30 teams in it. It's pretty much going to be the NFL. You might actually have divisions in it. Yes, they will only play each other, but just for scheduling ramifications to make sure Alabama plays Auburn and LSU every year. But, yeah, I don't think that even Alabama – Ohio State, Notre Dame want to do this just solely because if they can get away with it without having to worry about the NCAA. So what if the NCAA kicks them out in other sports and they don't have any tournament money revenue from the basketball? It'll stink, but they'll be making so much off football, they won't care. <laughs> but that, that, that basketball check is still pretty strong. I mean, that's still a pretty strong check. It is, but yeah. it would not compensate for how much but more they'd be getting paid more, by leaving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Title IX, <clears throat> um, there was a hearing yesterday on Capitol Hill uh, as it pertained to kind of rewriting of Title IX to include transgender women, uh, biological men who are transitioning or, or saying that they are a woman. And there was a lot of interesting feedback they were hearing from ex-coaches, women's coaches. Uh, Riley Gaines has been at the center of, of this as well. Um you know, the Kentucky swimmer who I think is quite courageous. I'm a big advocate of women's sports. I, uh, you know, my sister played, was a, was a fabulous high school athlete and was also a really great college athlete. My dad coached college. He was a women's basketball coach in college. Um, so I, you know, I, I feel uh, a kinship with, you know, women's athletics, women's basketball, uh, you know, I've called a lot of those games. I like softball. I like volleyball. Those are two sports that uh, I really like. Don't know how particularly good I am at calling volleyball, but I, I like the sport. So I, I do think that there is a lot of um, good that Title IX has done as far as that goes. With that said, um, in the vein of what the NCAA is doing, uh, I mean, Pilk, you're a lousy athlete, but if you went and played a bunch of uh, females. Now, I, I'll say this. Back when they first opened the rec center on campus, I was in school at ECU. 
and we would uh, the women's basketball team would come over and play you know a bunch of us guys right to, to make them better essentially and they just lit us up <laughs> i mean that that's different right that's different it didn't matter that we were guys they were in better shape and they were getting they were tougher and they were playing but they'd come in there and run us off the court bill i know this is surprising to you but you know what you're talking about is well, they had team chemistry. Were, you guys were just a bunch of random right, dudes we, who barely knew each other, right. who had more drinking chemistry than you'd basketball chemistry. There were we had more drinking chemistry than chemistry classes and basketball chemistry. You're right, but I mean it's just like you know this is a group that is um, if you take I mean the, the Leah Thompson thing is a great example of this. You have someone who was a middling to not very good swimmer at the collegiate level i mean obviously an athlete but not a great championship level athlete who went from that to a championship level uh, a goal you know a medal winning athlete in the women's division doesn't mean that the women aren't any good so this is what Riley Gaines had to say about this uh, yesterday on Capitol Hill. The new rule mandates that every school in the country must demonstrate the unfairness of male participation on each specific women's team that they offer and develop rules that minimize harm to trans-identified athletes. But what about the harm to us? You know, you're talking about in this situation, um, if, if, I mean, why wouldn't a coach go out and, and get a an athlete who's a biological male at birth over a female because they would feel like it would give them a better edge to win, especially in what we're heading towards now with the NCAA? I mean, you can't tell me that that, you know, if you're paying female athletes $30,000 minimum, if not more, then, then that becomes a, high, a higher stakes game than it already is. So... I mean, this is not good for women in competing. I know there's a lot of guys with daughters out there in our audience who compete in sports and are great athletes and work very, very hard. You're casting all of that hard work by young women aside by bringing in somebody who's inherently uh, physically dominant to, to most all of these women athletes, the vast majority of them. And I just think, I think that's unfortunate, and I think anybody who pretends that they're for Title IX but they're not for it if they're if they're for this because this is not this is not the spirit of what Title IX was. This is not the same thing as equal opportunity and access. So I, I would call on the NCAA to do what they're doing with high level sports: create a subdivision, create a a trans athlete subdivision. Why couldn't you do that? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. That's the only way you're going to protect women's sports. Because if not, what's the whole point of Title IX? There's going to be no women's sports left. Exactly. All right, tomorrow we're going to be on at 10 on our video platforms, back here on the radio at 5. We'll be joined by Jim Zoki with the Panthers Radio Network, and uh, Brian Mole will talk to college basketball news and notes with him. Thanks to Doug Martin. Great segments with him today. Lots of good, interesting topics. And thanks to Philip Reptilke. Back in the morning on Talk to the Town, the weekend will be back, so I hopefully won't have to host. If I do, I will. If I need to, I will. And then we'll see you back here uh, tomorrow at 5 o'clock on the radio, 10 on the video platforms of the PJ Show.
backyard into a paradise for your family and friends to enjoy. Pool Pro 